Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we love to give a voice to the women whose story is meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share their stories with the world so that in their shining, they give permission to others to shine as well. Today's guest is Stephanie Kusabab of Ascentium. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm so thrilled to be here talking with you and your listeners. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. I bet a lot of my listeners know your name. <laughs> that is true. You and I were just saying we meet in a lot of the same circles and know a lot of the same people. So that's exciting. Well, for those who don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a strategist and marketing professional, um, switching gears into being more focused on business strategy. I sort of grew up uh, through marketing and also doing strategic planning. My undergraduate degree is in organizational psychology from Loyola University, so that led me on sort of an interesting path uh, in my career across a lot of different types of work. Uh, but have landed in strategic business uh, processes and planning. That's amazing. So folks, um, I am particularly intrigued by your background, your education, uh, that there's a lot of overlap with what I have done in the past. But I'm also particularly intrigued by what you do now. And in fact, I'm going to ask Stephanie to help me reconfigure my business plan. Those of you who listen regularly know what I do. Um, but my first year in business proved to be quite successful, but I don't think I planned out for the future. Like I planned my, you know, year mm -hmm. one, year two, and now I'm like, well, what do I do now? So I think I'm actually going to consult with Stephanie to help me figure that out. And if you are um, in business, whether you have your own business or if you're a lawyer in a firm and you need your strategic marketing plan or the firm itself needs a broader, greater strategic plan. Um, I think Stephanie is the person to call. I'm personally going to ask her to help me. So there's, there's a ringing endorsement right there. Let me ask Terrific. you something. Thanks, yeah. Well, what's most fun about what you do? You know, I really love being able to meet the different people that I work with and learn so much about their organizations, both the industry that they're in, the way that they go to market, the way that they do their business. Uh, and also helping them to find the next opportunity, what's new and what's next, and what's going to help them really be great as they move into the future. You know, we see so much change happening in our environment today that future-proofing your business is really important. And the only way to do that effectively is to think a little bit further out. Like you said, Susan, it, it's easy to see maybe a year in advance, what do I need to accomplish this year? But then where are you headed? What does that future look like for you three years from now, five years from now? And helping organizations find that future vision is one of the things I really love about what I do. Awesome. Awesome. I'll tell you, I was a little struck. Um, this is not a humble brag either, folks. You know me. I'm very open, honest, and direct. Um, but I did my business plan. I had, you know, year one, build profile, raise reputation, you know, make sure uh, branding is in place. Year two, bring in clients, make money, da, da, da. and again, uh, not bragging, but all that happened in the first year. And now I find myself, well, how do I grow what I've built? You know, like I, I'm the dog that caught the car, you know? Right, right, right. What's <laughs> like, new? What's what are, next? Exactly. What do I do with it now? Now, I'm a small business, 
Um, but I, you know, so that makes me much more nimble than a law firm or a, an mm -hmm. organization, but just exponentially, that must be a bigger concern for firms or even, you know, a managing partner who might still bring in business or a business development, um, you know, rainmaker at a firm, you know, what do I do now? How do I expand on existing relationships? How can I um, plan to, you know, bring in new business from the same client, not just continue to bring in new clients, which is harder to do, but um, I think you'll agree spending your time with existing clients is the better way to grow or the shorter route to new business. Um, Absolutely. Right. And it's, it's really interesting. I had a client just ask me the other day, they're like, we're in a really good position. We're growing. We continue to grow financially. We're in a good place. So how do you do strategic planning with us? Right. And I said, are you kidding me? That's the most fun way to do strategic planning because you're in a position of strength. Coming from a position of strength, your opportunity is to really think longer term, to think about what's that broader impact you can have. What is it really going to, what's really going to be meaningful for you and for your company and for your clients? And how can you bring that, uh, bring that forward and build towards that? And that's, it's just a ton of fun to be able to build from a position of strength. Not that working with clients that are struggling isn't exciting and interesting, and it's wonderful to see them improve as well. Um, but really that's one of the things that's nice about doing strategy and visioning work is it's really relevant for everyone, no matter where they are. Like you said, small business, medium business, large business, they all have an opportunity to think differently and bringing in someone from the outside, being someone from the outside, I can bring a different perspective. I can yeah. push people to think beyond what's sort of right in front of their nose. Yeah, I have to say, so firms or companies that are mired in undoing the bad or dealing with the negative, um, they probably desperately need you for sure. Those that are doing well don't recognize that, you know, we can't rest on our laurels. What did we do right? We need to do more of that. How can we incorporate new changes that will uh, broaden our successes? You know, so I get what you're saying. I mean, it's not a one, one or, you know, it's not a, only if we're doing poorly should we call Stephanie. It's an if we're doing well, we should call Stephanie as well. Um, right. I'm not generally a person who sells my services. I don't, you know, I'm into relationships, building relationships, solving problems. Um, folks, I know Stephanie not too well, but I know her well enough for the conversations we've had to know that she's that of that same ilk. She is not a pushy salesperson. She's actually a a problem solver. She cares about your end game and, and learns about what you're trying to achieve. So that said, um, in your career of doing this, what has been your proudest professional accomplishment when you have, you know, recognized goals and, you know, helped your clients? Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to take maybe a little more of a personal um, approach to your, to answering gotcha. your question, if that's okay. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, you know, for me, it's been about personally continuously reinventing myself and, and driving positive change um, within the organizations that I've served. I've worked in-house at a number of different types of companies, uh, anywhere from uh, services organizations like banks and real estate organizations, like commercial real estate companies, uh, to manufacturing product manufacturers. Uh, most recently, I worked in the nonprofit sector for a period of time at a uh, organization that uh, does outsource staffing for services companies where we became their staff, uh, if you will. 
And, wow. and so for me, it's, it's just not just about reinventing myself, but re helping those businesses reinvent themselves, um, you know, doing things that are different. Oftentimes I'll, I'll take whatever job description I've, I have and I will do that work, but then I always take on different projects. Um, for example, at Smith Buckland, the last place that I worked, that I was talking about this outsourced um, staffing for nonprofits. I was the director of marketing for the Legal Marketing Association, which Susan, you know, that's one of the reasons that um, we're connected and that we have a lot of, of similar connection points. Oh yeah, and a lot of my listeners are involved in that organization. So they may know you, they may not, they may know your name, but not you. So this is a good opportunity for them to learn more about what you can do to help them in their yeah. role, not just in their firms, but in their roles, like their, their jobs themselves. So they play a critical role in the firm's uh, overall strategic plan. So um, yeah. Right. And I, and that's, you know, I think that, that the work that I did with the Legal Marketing Association is a great example of this idea of sort of reinventing and, and building and thinking about what's new and what's next. You know, I was the, the director of marketing for them, which had its own set of responsibilities and sort of a CMO capacity. But also beyond that, I would take on other projects and, and other things. One of them was uh, to help lead an effort to establish an advocacy initiative for the organization. Uh, and part of that, which has become sort of a passion of mine, is this idea of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I worked on a project for them to help set up both to um, help write the, the plan in terms of what did the organization want to do to help drive DEI uh, for the organization, the profession, and the industry, and then also to help establish the infrastructure within there, the, the committees and the task forces and those types of things to actually make that uh, all of that work begin. So you know that's my passion. I love what you just said. Now you're speaking my language. So um, I focus on communications and how different communications impacts, you know, either combats bias or encourages bias and how mm -hmm. to strive for better communication within a company, within a firm, uh, regardless of industry. So I, I would love to talk to you more about that initiative, what you did, what your ideas are, if you don't mind, and, and share, if you wouldn't mind, sharing some information and best practices, because that's my world. Um, I go into companies and we talk about how not only gender, but, you know, generation or region or, you know, industry or, you know, why, why you communicate differently than, some, than the other, let's just say that. So your right. work would be very beneficial to me. Yeah, I would love to spend more time talking about that. It, I think one of the, you know, big, there were a lot of aha moments for me. It was, it's been a real, it was the beginning of a real journey for me around this topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and you know, taking those pieces apart and thinking about each one individually, diversity is, is something that is really impacted by the people who are making hiring decisions. But equity and inclusion is something that every single one of us has the yes. ability to impact. Wow, that is so true. I don't think people think about that. They just let DEI roll off their tongues or D and I roll up. And they're very different um, concepts. They're, you know, diversity mm -hmm. is not inclusivity. I mean, you can have a highly diverse firm, a really colorful, great brochure, website, whatever. But are those people making the money? Are those people being included in leadership positions? Is there inclusivity happening in your firm? 
So that's awesome. That's awesome. My, my focus is the equity piece and, and, you know, people overlook that all the time. They say, right. you know, our pitch team is quite colorful and they check off the boxes. But when I ask the people who are on the pitch team, are you getting the stretch assignments? Are you getting the big case? Are you working on the more important, higher paying uh, work at the firm or the company? And they're like, well, no, then there's not inclusivity. There's not equity. So, um, yeah, I call, right. yes, I always challenge the leaders. I, I probably make some frenemies out there while doing it, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm the troublemaker, the dissenter, the one who will, uh, question authority and so forth and so on. Um, but, but that, yeah. that piece about that piece about equity is so important. And like you said, it's the leaders that really can impact that. What I like to talk about, or what, what was really enlightening for me in this journey, I was part of it both for Smith, uh, both for the Legal Marketing Association, but also the company I worked for was Smith Buckland, who does staffing for LMA. And I was also part of the in-council for Smith Buckland. And one of the things that I began to see was this idea that um, inclusion is really everyone's responsibility, and it also yeah. benefits everyone. Yeah. Right? Individuals, um, men who are fathers who want to take off so they can coach their son's baseball team or their, or their daughter's baseball team, softball team, right? Yeah. Um, that having the ability to do that is part of feeling included, being able to bring your whole self to work. And every single one of us, by the way that we react when someone says that to us, make it, makes an impact on their ability to do that themselves. And it's highly personal, highly personal. Um, it's right. not just a, a corporate dictate or an institute. Inclusivity happens or can and should happen every moment of every day from everyone. You know, That's right. yeah, I love that. Yes. Um, yeah, so I can't wait to have this <laughs> offline conversation with you. Every time we have a conversation, I learn something new and want to know more. So this is right. very exciting. <laughs> Um, I'm super glad to share you with my world of, of listeners and viewers because I'll write a blog about you and I'll include this podcast in that blog. Um, I try to get people who are only readers, people who are only listeners, you know, cover all the bases. So let me ask you along the way, um, I have looked over your LinkedIn profile. You're quite accomplished. You're, uh, you're you. clearly driven. I mean, you can't do what you've done without having drive. Um, what has, who has inspired you? Like what, you know, have you had a mentor? Have you had someone who inspired you to do what you've done? Yeah. You know, it's funny when you say who's inspired you, people always pick someone, um, you know, I could say Nelson Mandela or Simon Sinek <laughs> or some, some of those yeah. folks. Right. But, but when I think about a mentor, that's been really meaningful for me. Um, you know, it, it's a gentleman named Peter McGuire. And uh, Peter was a manager that I had. I was a contract consultant at AB and AMRO Bank, um, working globally with Peter to institutionalize an account planning process, which sounds really weird, but it, it, it's a, it was a huge project. It took five years. We worked, I, I went into all different places in the, in the world and facilitated meetings between account managers and product managers. And Peter was the internal consultant that was the glue that kept this whole thing going. Um, so he and I traveled together and, and I learned so much from him. He had a family and so he was a father as well and, and had that experience as I was becoming a mother. Um, but he really helped me understand so many things. He helped me know to understand how companies work and not just small companies, but big companies. 
they helped me learn how to navigate a matrix organization by really um, through the power of individual connections, right? No matter how big the organization gets, what I learned from Peter is it's the individual relationships that matter. Yes. Uh, it, he, he taught me how to think three steps ahead so that you could sort of see where things were going even though they hadn't gotten there yet. And that has really been fundamental for me in terms of thinking about strategy and helping clients with strategy and strategic thinking is helping them to see further ahead than they can see themselves, helping them to sort of think, what are the next steps? Where do we want to go and how do we get there? And another thing that P Peter was a real people person. And so he really helped me understand not just me seeing it, but helping others to see what was coming next and helping others to get to where they wanted to go. And, and yeah, me so, those skills. so you have to have a vision. Um, and a lot of people do, but the next step, you have to be able to articulate that vision and plot out the plan to get there. And that's where you come in. Let me ask you, are you still friends with Peter today? Do you still keep in touch? Uh, we do. You know, sometimes um, we don't talk for years, but I just had lunch with him actually um, this fall and it was just amazing to catch back up and see how things are going with him and his family and it, it's really fun to be able to stay connected. And what I wanted to do was to really express my gratitude for everything that he had done for me and for my career and, to, and just in being there early in my career to be such a, a huge influence and it was really touching and moving to be together. That is so great. So I want to talk, uh, touch on this, folks. Um, we often find people don't have mentors at all, or maybe they do and don't recognize them as mm -hmm. such. Um, and we often find that when they do, they're the same gender. It's really great that you had, it sounds like Peter was not just a mentor, but perhaps a sponsor as well. Those are two different things, but he mm -hmm. sounds like he would uh, speak for you on your behalf, whether you're there or not. Um, it's great that you had a male mentor and that you could, you know, learn perspective and see other points of view. And, you know, I just think that's terrific. My, it was my, amazing. Yeah, my mentor was a male as well. My greatest mentor in my life, not just my dad. I mean, he was awesome, but professional mentor, someone I learned business from and really cut my teeth on the corporate world. Uh, was also a male. And that was very, he was powerful. He was rich, but he was approachable. He had an open door policy. He had a lot of EQ, you know, back before mm -hmm. the EQ was EQ. Um, so I love that. I love that you had a male mentor. That's really po powerful. It's important um, that men mentor women and vice versa. And Susan, so, how did you, how did you connect with him? I, I'm, I'm always curious about this journey. Ah, so my journey started when I was quite young, far too young to have the types of responsibilities that I was given, but I uh, did well with them and he helped me to do that. I was in financial services in Boston. He was the CEO and president of a publishing company within financial services and then a research company as well within financial services. And I did a lot of the um, client services and qualitative and quantitative uh, mm -hmm. needs assessments of clients. And then we would do this proprietary research for them to find out, um, you know, to reach their goals or whatever the kinds of questions they wanted answered. I was that person. I was the relationship person, the salesperson, if you will, but we called ourselves um, relationship salespeople, not mm -hmm. just sales reps. 
but um, he was the president and owner of that company. And it's still around in Boston today. It's called Dalbar, D-A-L-B-A-R. And they do service quality measurement of mutual funds, annuities, um, various financial uh, services companies. So mm -hmm. my clients were Hank Greenberg, Bob Ben Moshe, you know, AIG and MetLife and uh, all the mutual funds. I had about over a hundred mutual funds as clients, but to be a young woman in that world in the nineties was mm -hmm. quite, you know, daunting and, he helped me. He helped me a lot. Um, he helped me to hold on to who I am and not become who others wanted me to be, which is probably, you know, a lot of people bang their heads because I'm that way. <laughs> but I say, honor who you are and be your highest and best self and don't try to fake it till you make it and be someone else. Um, I know in the nineties, a lot of women mimicked men in order to be successful. And in my next company, I was asked to do that and I did it. And although I have some regrets about it and I talk about that um, in my talk, he was one to say, don't do that. Don't, you know, so for the most part, I, I didn't, I, I kept to who, you know, honest, uh, strong, you know, determined, kept to who I am, you know, was, was, mm -hmm. was myself. But I love that having a male mentor. Um, and it's ironic because I'm all about lifting women, but that doesn't mean we need to cut men out of the equation without the men. I don't think we're going to reach what we want to reach. We're going to just create the op opposite, but equal problem. If we only focus on, uh, you know, having women in the room when we have these conversations, which leads me to my next question. What do you think about that? How can we as women in business support other women in business? Yeah, I think, you know, Susan, you're, you're right on and having the men at the table is important. And yet at the same time, you know, we have this responsibility to each other, I think, as women to really be responsive to each other's needs. I think we have a, a greater tendency um, than the opposite sex to take on the weight of the world and really feel like we have something to prove and push ourselves to do everything. And at the same I time, agree. I don't think, you know, people talk about women, you know, asking for help. I don't think we're good at asking for help when it comes to the business world. I think we're so busy trying to prove that we can do it, that we forget that it's okay to ask for help. So I think we have to look out for each other uh, and really, you know, call each other out. Hey, if you see another woman who you feel like is trying to do too much, they're trying to be Wonder Woman in, in the negative sense of the word. Um, where they're taking on too much and t pushing too hard for perfection. You know, I think we have to call them out and say, hey, you know, do you really want to take that on? Are you sure you want to do that? It's okay to ask for help um, I have to and say, to find I think balance. You're spot on. I think women are afraid to ask for help because it's viewed as a sign of weakness, um, mm -hmm. even though that's in fact not a sign of weakness to ask for help. But recognizing right. that, you're, you're listening and watching with empathy and you're recognizing this woman lifting too much or, you know, seeming to struggle or at least opening the pos the door to her to ask you for help. You know, at least you're making it a possibility that she can reach out. Yeah. Right. I agree. And encouraging them not to take on too much. I mean, with the women that I coach, I talk about work-life balance more as a teeter-totter than balance. I think this idea of balance 
is overrated. I, I don't think it's possible to actually find complete balance where everything is equally perfect all of the time. I think that if you think of it more as a teeter-totter, there may be particular hours, days, weeks, months where you have to be focusing on work and be all in 100% on work and sort of keeping the other things in your life going. And then there's other points in, in time when you really have to be sort of all in on yourself or your family or the broader community and put them first and sort of keep work going. And so for me, I always talk about it as a teeter-totter, which I feel like gives us that, um, that permission to let something fall every once in a while because you can pick it that. back up later on. I love that. So for me, balance is about how I define it. Balance for me isn't about equal time. It's not quantitative, let's say. It's qualitative. Like if I have a project that work or a work project that I'm, you know, dedicated to and I'm not spending the time that I feel it deserves on it, then I'm not balanced. I'm out of balance. I might be, you know, if I were to cut my family and work time in half and, you know, quantitatively, that would not provide balance for me. For me, I would be thinking about this project, obsessing over it, worrying that it needs to get done. And now I'm cutting time out from. So for me, balance means a healthy mental state when you are, I know I'm working on this project. I'm not neglecting my family because they're fine. And this project needs to get done and has a deadline or vice versa. My son might be ill or my husband might need me or, um, you know, so if I'm not with my family during those times, I'm, I'm distracted with my work won't be good. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, That's exactly it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not about, you know, make sure you spend X number of hours at home with your family and X number of hours at work. For me, it's a qualitative measure, not quantitative. So I agree. Right. I love and and you're in the places, sorry, and you're in the places you want to be and need to be when you need to be there. Correct. That's probably the much more articulate way to put what I was yes. trying to say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're where you need to be when you need to be there, regardless of where that is. So we each define balance differently, but I, I think you and I are on the same page there. Um, let me ask you, it's not all been easy, I'm sure. For me as an entrepreneur, I've had a few hiccups. Let me ask you what your biggest challenge or setback has been and how did you overcome it? Or maybe you haven't had it yet. I don't know. Well, I, I hope I have, <laughs> but I'm sure I haven't. <laughs> but the, the one that comes to mind um, is years ago. I, uh, I was laid off from my job. It was a job I really enjoyed, but the company was shifting directions. And, and so my role was one of those casualties. You know, it happens. Um, but at that time, uh, I, my husband and I were newlyweds. We just purchased our first house. Um, we wanted to start a family. Let's just say it wasn't a great time to be unemployed, e even for a short period of time. Right. Um, so I just started working. I just jumped in. I, I signed up with a couple of temp services and, and did some secretarial assignments, even though that wasn't what I was doing in my, my life previously. Um, you know, I did some word processing. This was, a, this was early, early days when, um, you know, not everyone was a PowerPoint expert and I had that skill set. So I was able to get some nice projects through that. So it wasn't steady. It was really an uncomfortable time. Um, but something really cool happened in that that was the time when I was introduced to AB and Amro Bank. And, and I did a project for them, worked with this guy, Peter, 
Uh, and that turned into an opportunity where I had full-time contract work with them for about five years, helping wow. uh, to institutionalize this process. So again, you know, just really a cool opportunity that kind of materialized because of the adversity and just putting one foot in front of the other when things didn't look so great, you know, when things were kind of bleak, um, really led to this really cool, life-changing sort of seminal experience for me and my career. Uh, and it's that just funny awesome. how things like that work out, right? What a great story. So folks, you, those of you who listen regularly um, have heard me say, win or learn, never lose. Um, that's a perfect yes. example. That's a perfect example. So uh, how that. great is that? That is really awesome. I know you were probably scared to death. Um, oh my gosh. At age. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what was really super cool is because I had that flexibility because I was a contractor, I had yeah. flexibility. I was working from home at that time. Um, I actually got pregnant, had my son, was able to be here with him most of the time at home, um, you know, and traveled. I did quite a bit of travel, but I was also able to spend quite a bit of time with him. And I feel like our relationship is so much stronger for that time that I was able to spend. So everything always works out. I, everything always happens for a reason. I, I'm a true believer in that. And if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you figure out what that reason was. I am of the same mindset. You, your, Our purpose is to find out the lessons in every event in our lives. I agree. Everything happens for a reason. We don't always know what the reason is. Um, right. I find joy in living in gratitude and wondering what could I learn from that? Or what was the reason that happened? Or what good can come of that not so great situation? Um, how can I turn that around? What, what can, what can I use to, maybe I'm stronger because of that, or maybe I'm more determined because that happened, or maybe I should pull back. I learned that's not the way to go or whatever. But you know what's so cool about what you said is that because you were a contract worker, you could work in a way that is conducive to women, women with families. And, you know, men with families should have that same option as well. I don't think that, um, I mean, I teach a lot about muted group theory and how the operating systems were created by white males. So they're in the language of white males. I don't think that there's an inclusion in that language for you know, working from home, being a mom while you're working. I know I can do both. I mean, I'm darn good at what I do and I work from home. I travel to clients. I, you know, why can't that be more of a norm than it is right now? It's a quite, it's an exception in corporations or law firms. Um, you know, I think that we need to change the systems to allow for that yeah. for men and women. I agree. Although I will say that I, I feel like things are starting to shift, obviously not as quickly as, as some of us would like them to, but I am starting to see more um, just because I have the benefit of working across multiple industries. Yeah. Um, you know, and some industries are leaders and some are a bit laggards when it comes to some of these types of things. But um, I, I'm seeing more and more industries talking about this openly and starting to do more flexible work arrangements. That's uh, great. Both for women and men, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just worked with a small consulting company, about 15 people, and they've decided that everyone uh, is working from home Mondays and Fridays. Oh, that's and, so awesome. I'm, so right? it's, it's like a broad rule? Yeah, everyone that, yes, they, the office, I mean, it's open if someone wants to go, but there's, um, 
there's no expectation of being in the office on Mondays or Fridays. You're obviously available. They do a lot of conference calls and use technology like Zoom where they can do video yeah. calls and things. Um, but no one's in the office Mondays and Fridays. I, there's another larger organization that I, I work with, um, which has about 600 to 1,000 employees. I'm not quite sure. It depends on how you count it. Um, and they have implemented a, a company policy uh, that anyone can choose a single day of the week to work from home. They just have to document it so that it's a consistent uh, day of the week and it's in their calendar and everyone knows and their boss just sort of signs off. But the expectation is that the boss will sign off unless there's some extenuating circumstances. Okay. This is amazing. These are such yeah. forward-thinking progressive companies. So let me ask you this. You don't have to name their names, but they're not law firms. They are not law firms. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, but, but, but one of them, the larger one I was talking about is a service firm. I mean, wow. their work is to work with you know, others. So they are a service firm. They're, they're working with clients every single day of the week, and they've just put in place the technology to be able to allow people to continue to connect with their clients regardless. That's incredible. So, you know, law firms live in fear. Lawyers live in fear. They're afraid to, you know, let people work from home with the, you know, confidential matters, et cetera, et cetera. But technology allows for that. I mean, we have much more you know, top secret security clearance people working across the globe, you know, from <laughs> their laptops, wherever they are. So, um, yeah, law firms are so far behind in almost every, uh, you know, aspect of, of equity and, and balance and, you know, wellness. Well, I, yeah, I think it's what you said. I think it's the fear factor, right? Yeah. Is that really, um, you know, we have to set aside the fear or at least have a vision of the future that helps us overcome our fear, right? If we have a clear vision for where we're headed and what we want things to look like and what we want to enable, then it's easier to overcome that fear because you have this sort of place that you're trying to get to and you can only get there if you move beyond the fear. And if you're mired in the fear, how do you create that vision or strategy to get to a better place? If you're, if you're, I think the billable hour contributes mightily to this. Mm -hmm. uh, they live in, you know, they're anxious all the time. It's, it's like, if I'm home, I'm thinking about all the billable work I need to be doing in my office. Uh, you know, my, my husband used to own his own law firm and managed it as well. And he was a litigator practicing regularly, very good at what he did. But all he would think about is if he's with family, I need to be in my office. I have so much work I need to do. So it ruined both, you know? So um, right. I think that, that this is a bigger conversation for another day about compensation systems and how they lend to the <laughs> very unhealthy um, atmosphere or landscape in legal. But I love your two clients. That's just amazing. They're so ahead of the game. And, and after we hang up this from this recording or this call, I would like to learn more about that because I think that's something I would uh, want to introduce on my podcast or talk more about with maybe them or, you know, someone from your client's companies highlight their good practices. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, you're so awesome. I know, you know, I, I think that I tell you that all the time. 
Uh, but folks, she's really awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. Tell us something Sydney. we don't know. Tell me a surprising fact about you. Um, okay, so this sounds kind of silly, but I, you know, I love kids. I love being a mom and, and um, it's probably not surprising given the conversation we've had, but people often comment on how they think of me as sort of this powerful businesswoman and I'm so focused on my work and, and they're surprised about this love for kids. Like I was a, a, a Cub Scout den mom. And, wow. And, um, once I was visiting an out of town office um, and a colleague invited me to go with his family to a museum uh, over the weekend. So we went and he had three young kids and I spent most of the day with his 15 month old, like carrying her around, pointing out really cool things on the, you know, look at this airplane, see the plane, see the puppy dog in the picture, right? All of those things. And, and it's funny because later he told, he shared with me, he said, you know, my wife was shocked that you like connected with our kids. All the stories she's heard about you are your business and what you do in business. And, and she didn't think you would even like to be with the kids. And I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Um, but you know, it's really, it's all about people yes. it's the connections we make, whether they're kids or adults, um, you know, that it's the connections that help propel us that help propel them forward. You know, being kind and caring is important no matter what you do. So that, you know, that I think is important to understand that it's not all about business and business outcomes. It's about the people as well. So I love that about you. And I think that's partly why we connect so meaningfully. Um, it's for me, never about the money. Um, the money will come if you do things for the right reasons, you do the right things, you, you do good deeds, think good thoughts, cause no harm, the money will come. And it, it just as a funny side note, I can see why you also work well with lawyers if you work well with children. <laughs> yeah, a lot of hand holding. <laughs> a lot of hand holding. Um, well, you are delightful. You're uh, brilliant. But like, like your friend just said, you're not... Um, you're not off-putting. You see, you're warm and welcoming as well as bright. And, and you know, I, I, I think that you're a pleasure to work with. And I think you have a lot of great stuff to uh, share with others. And I think you're an amazing listener. And you turn what you learn into something of a plan. And I think that puts people at ease because they sort of have an idea of where they want to go. They have no idea how to get there. And that's where you come in. So, um, Thank you. Thanks so yeah. much for all those kind words, Susan. It's really, it's been fabulous talking with you and, and getting to know you. I'm excited to have these off, offline conversations and continue yeah. our relationship. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's such a pleasure to connect with another woman who's, who's powerful and thoughtful and really trying to help others. Uh, it, it's been great. So thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time. Have a great day and happy new year, everyone. Happy.